Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. Well, today I'm continuing this series on developing deep relationships in a world full of breakups. And I want to underscore that the biblical principles that I'm sharing with you apply to all relationships. We're we're focusing on marriage, but these same principles affect our relationships with our children, especially as they are grown children. It affects our relationships at work and in our extended family. These are universal principles about relationships that God teaches us in His Word. But I'm most concerned with our relationships in our marriage. Because God intends marriage to be the closest of all relationships, where He says, the two shall become one. And I think every one of us, uh, when we fall in love, we're yearning for that kind of intimacy. And nothing replaces it. Of course, this isn't automatic. Lots of things come in the way of this union. We may not be divorced, but there's lots of relationships, marriages, that are still together, but they're not together. Busyness comes between us. We get distracted. We have stresses and worries. Children can actually come between us. All kinds of things get in the way of the intimacy that God desires for us. A massive survey of America recently found, get this, that 56% of married women say they would not marry their husband again if they had to do it all over. They could do better. Why is this? I want to almost guarantee you that in those marriages where the wives are saying that, they haven't told their husband that. They haven't had the courage to say that. It's too hurtful. And a lot of the husbands are just in the dark. They don't even realize how really unfulfilled their wife is. The reason this happens is because we as men don't play our God-given position on the team. You see, marriage is a team. It's a team between a man and a woman. And God has appointed husbands as captain of the team. We're captain. You know, Derek Jeter is one of my favorite athletes. And he is the shortstop for the New York Yankees, and he's captain of the team. He's not captain of the team because he's the best player. Or because all the others on the team who voted him to be captain think he's better than they are. No. They voted him to be captain because he inspires them. They know he's a natural leader. He's the kind of guy who always gives 110%. He's never negative. He always shows up to play the game. He's never a quitter. He's always believing that the Yankees can win. 
That's inspiring to the rest of the team. And they made him captain. Because they want him to inspire them to be at their best. To go to the next level. To build up the team. That's why he's captain. And God has made us as men. Captain of the team. The only problem is a lot of us don't want to be captain. We're not doing the things that make us captain. And women sometimes have to step in in a leadership role in terms of the family. But they don't want to. And it's a very funny thing. When men don't want to be captain, they don't want her to be captain either. So nobody's captain. And I tell you, a team without a captain doesn't win very much. God has appointed you to be captain. But the problem is a lot of men aren't playing their position. Our job is to build up our wife. And when we build up our wife and inspire her, inspire her, we will reap this intimacy, this deep relationship that we all want. If we don't, we don't. I want to give you a universal law of the universe. It's a universal law. No one breaks this law. You only prove it. It's like gravity. You only prove it. In all areas of life, and the universal law is this. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. We can't get around it. No one does. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says this, Do not be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. That is so true in life. Classified ad. A true, this actually is an ad. Read this. For sale, 52-year-old husband. Never remembers anniversaries, birthdays, or special days. Seldom holds hands or hugs or says I love you except when he wants sex. Rarely is kind or tender except when he wants sex. Will sell cheap, two cents. Will dicker. Call 555-0366. I guarantee you that that husband wasn't being captain of the team and he thought his marriage was good enough. Because the physical was there. But it's never enough. She didn't think it was good enough. And the question is this. That man wasn't sowing into his marriage what would produce intimacy. And if we're not sowing the things that produce intimacy, we're not going to get it. And so I'm asking us this morning as men... Honestly, what have you been sowing into your marriage? What seeds? It's something to think about. My dad was a cotton farmer before he died. and <laughs> I still remember as a kid driving the tractor and dumping the seed in those old hoppers and uh, going down the already furred out rows planting that cotton. And you know, on the, I can still see these sacks. Cotton seed and then the kind of seed, whether it's Pima cotton or regular, the other kinds of cotton. My dad, when he planted cotton seed, he expected cotton. Not watermelons. 
But the problem is with us, we so often, we think it doesn't matter what we're planting and sowing. The seed doesn't matter. We think we're going to get caught when we're planting alfalfa. It's never going to happen. And what this means ultimately, because you get what you sow into your marriage, this is the unavoidable conclusion. Your wife is everything you've made her to be. Ooh. Good or bad, responsive or distant, your wife is everything you've made her to be. When I first began to study this sort of thing and I would hear speakers speak like this, I resisted this. Because you see, I didn't want to take responsibility. I really wanted to say, you know, no matter how I behave, Susie, you ought to be a good wife. And finally this began to sink into me. My wife is everything I'm going to make her to be, what I sow into her. And that is a turning point in a relationship. Our wife is a garden. And what comes out of her depends upon what we've sown into her. I tell you, if she's not on fire for you, if she's not passionate about you, if she's not passionate about pleasing you and meeting your needs, it's almost always because of what the man has sown into her. Yes, she has a family history and she's got issues, of course. And like I quoted C.S. Lewis last week, he said, I'm a sinful man married to a sinful woman. Yes, that's all true. But you see, marriage is meant to be God's healing of our brokenness. It's a healing. And that's really why we marry. We choose to marry another person. Because we see in her the filling of our gaps. We see hope that our broken parts might be healed by the way she is. We marry so that we might be healed whether we acknowledge that or not. But it all depends upon what you're sowing into your wife whether she's being built up and changing or not. No marriage is closer than what the captain of the team is sowing into it. So today I'd like to talk about what kind of seed we need to be sowing into our marriage as men uh, in order to have the best marriage possible, to growing intimacy over the years, to hit a 9 or a 10 in terms of the heart and soul knit together. A 9 or a 10 instead of a 2 or a 3. And I want to use a very simple picture to describe sewing that I think uh, is uh, really a good picture uh, that is not uh, uh, my invention. There's many people who write about this, and the picture is a love bank. Your wife has a love bank, and <laughs> whether you know it or not, you're making deposits and withdrawals, getting deducts daily. And when she first marries you, the reason she first married you, fell in love with you, is because she felt treasured. Treasured. She felt she was treasured by you. And the reason is, is because the way you were when you were dating and first met, you were on your best behavior, and you were doing all kinds of things that made tremendous deposits. And when you married, your, her bank was full. You had filled it up. After you marry, 
The job is to keep filling it up. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, which is his bride. Go all out for her. That's what makes her treasured. Sacrifice for her. Go all out for her. When I graduated from Princeton Seminary, I became, my first position was an assistant pastor in a church in Oakland. And Susie and I lived in a very tough part of Oakland. A lot of crime all around us on our street everywhere. And uh, when John was three and Jenny was one, just babies, one night about 11.30, I'll never forget this. There was this loud banging on our front door. And because of the kind of neighborhood we lived in, I never just opened a door. I'd look through the peephole and see who was out there, because you could never tell. And sure enough, there was a guy who looked like Rambo out there. And I mean, he had arms like this. And in his hand, he had a Rambo knife. It was one of these hunting knives. And this is no exaggeration. It was like that big. And he was standing there right at the door. And I ran to the closet to get my 12-gauge shotgun. And uh, because I knew that this guy was so big and my door, just with one good shove, that door would come in. And I told Susie, call 911. I couldn't find my shotgun in the closet. I was mad at Susie because she had put it someplace else. I don't know. (laughs) Couldn't find my shotgun. And the only thing in there was a baseball bat. So I took this baseball bat and I stood about six or eight feet back from the door and I'm standing there like this. And I don't want to be dramatic, but I'm just like any other guy. I was ready to die for my family, for my wife. Which I would have if he'd have come through the door because me with a bat against this guy with a knife, I'm dead. (laughs) But you don't think twice about that. You're ready to die for your wife. Fortunately... The police came in a few seconds, got this guy. He was on drugs. He was totally crazed, which was even worse for me because I got a crazy strong guy with a knife (laughs) on drugs. But lucky for him, the police came and I didn't have to kill him. (laughs) But here's, here's as I thought about this. When I was first married... I'm a sinful pastor. Oh, but oh, I was not only a sinful man, I was so immature. More immature than I am now. <laughs> I was so immature, so self-centered, so had so many expectations, so critical, so demanding. Because this is the way my family was. You see, what had happened is, I'd let my mom and dad move into our marriage, like I talked about last week. And I was acting just like they were, how our family system worked. And because of that, I couldn't see it, how immature I was. But it was through preaching, and through being in church, and it was through communion that we've just gone through, that God began to take the knife to my heart. And he began to expose all of this immaturity in me. And here's here's what I thought about. I was willing to die for my wife that night, but so unwilling to put to death 
behaviors and attitudes in me towards her. Isn't that crazy? Ready to die for her, but not for things in me to die that were blocking me making her feel treasured. Well, I'd like to describe the seeds that it takes to make your your wife feel treasured and the things that have to die and live within us if we're going to do that. The first is you've got to get heavy on the compliments and affirmation and put to death all your critical tongue. You've got to put together death your critical spirit. And most men are critical of their wife after they get married. Not before, after. Now I'm going to ask you to be as honest as you can. If you love your husband or wife, you love them, but they have some weaknesses. And once in a while they frustrate you and sometimes they tick you off. But you love them. But they got some issues. Raise your hand. (laughs) Honey. What are you thinking about? We got to talk. Didn't expect you to raise your... Did you see that? Now, you know, when you first raise your hand, there's a moment of superiority. Ah. Until you notice the person next to you has got their hand up too. (laughs) Which is a clue. We are both sinful people. One of my... uh, favorite spiritual authors is Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he says in his book Living Together something I think is profound about criticism this is what he says realizing that you are married to a person who has weaknesses and who sometimes disappoints you presents you with a choice do you criticize and condemn or do you offer the grace of unconditional love now here's the clincher intimacy is built on grace Which means you treasure the other, flaws and all. What he's saying there is, the issues your wife, your husband, your wife has, their flaws, their sinfulness, their bad attitudes and behavior, is your golden opportunity to be knit together. Because there's nothing that knits two people together more than being loved Knowing you messed up. Grace. Ah, grace. That means I treasure you. In spite of your little idiosyncrasies and problems. That's why criticism is lethal to relationships. Because criticism communicates, you've got flaws. I don't love all of you. You know you're defective. That's what criticism does. We've got a choice. Disappointment is one of the biggest obstacles to a deep relationship of heart knitted to heart. And you know, everybody disappoints us. We disappoint ourselves. You know, one of the biggest problems of, uh, of uh, parenting, parents find their children often disappoint them. 
especially when they get older, they disappoint you. What do you do? You're, you fell in love with a woman that I guarantee you is going to disappoint you because she's not perfect. And it's our opportunity to treasure her warts and all through acceptance rather than criticism. And the reason I say that is, please hear this, criticism never changed anybody. It just closes up their heart. It doesn't change people. It closes up their heart and makes them defensive. Now, I'm not talking about what comes easily to me. It's a fight for me not to be critical. Every day I get up and I ask myself this question. Well, me, which me are you going to be? Are you going to be your worst me or your best me today? Which me are you going to be? Because depending on the day, I can be a different me. Which me am I going to be today? Am I going to be a critical me? Or am I going to be a grace-filled me today? It's been said, constructive criticism is when I criticize you. Destructive criticism is when you criticize me. Criticism is no one's love language. I was watching the New York Green Bay game last Sunday. Were you, did you watch that game? What a great game. Crazy. Playing in five degrees below zero. Only men would do that. <laughs> They're out there playing on this field five degrees below zero. <laughs> and there's only a few minutes left in the game. They, they have a chance to win it with a field goal. And they trot their field goal kicker out there. And what's the guy do? He hooks it. Then we got to see on national TV... A coach go ballistic in the face. I'm glad I don't read lips. Go ballistic in the guy's face. Because he messed up. The guy has to go out there later in overtime and kick again. Do you think he has self-confidence? No, he's got the fear of God in him. It doesn't build your self-confidence. It tears you down. But you see, so many of us as men, we're just like that coach. We get in our wife's face or in our kid's face and we criticize them. We think that that's going to help them. Let me tell you something. The one problem about pro sports is most fans are fickle. You do good last week, cheer. You don't do so good this week, you get booed. But not the best fans. The best fans don't boo their team. Because we're in this together. That's a man and a husband. She's on your team. Don't be booing her. But so often we boo them. Now on a scale of 1 to 10. Honestly. Are you a booer? Or an encourager? On a scale of 1 to 10. Are you a booer? With your wife, with your children, you boo a lot? You get what you sow. Now there's something here very important that I didn't tell you and I should tell you. I didn't realize this for a long time. Women don't keep score like men do. This is a big problem. Because when we're making deposits in her love bank, we're thinking big things count more than little things. And so you take her out to an expensive dinner... I got 100 points for that. Take her on a cruise, that's 500 points. 
And we think when we do big things, here's how the guy thinks. See if I'm not right on this. We think, that was a big thing. I put a lot of points in her love bank. I can now slack off and cruise a little. So, you know, Friday night we take her out to an expensive restaurant. That's 100 points. The rest of the weekend, we don't lift a hand around the house. We don't help with the kids. We sit in front of the TV. We're, we got it all planned out, what we're doing. We don't do anything. And no problem, we got points to spare. <laughs> we know we're getting deducts, but it's not a serious problem because I had so many other points. You don't know, you only got one point. <laughs> one point. You didn't get a hundred. You got one point. And so by Sunday night, you're already 16 in the red because of all the things you've done. And you think you've got another 90 or 80 left. No, you're 16 in the red. And here's why. Little things mean as much to women as big things. (laughs) Shouldn't be that way, but it is. Little things mean as much to them as big things. I wish it wasn't true, because it's the little things that trip me up that I don't want to do. I'd much rather spend a few bucks, a lot of bucks, so I could slide, but I can't. Because she insists the little things are as important as the big things, and you only got one point. That's why a lot of you are in the doghouse. And criticizing her is no little thing. You think it is just telling the truth, but it wounds her and it makes her feel defective. But let me tell you, the most important words that you say are not to your wife. Hear this. The most important conversation you have is not with her. No. That's why all these classes on how to talk to your wife, they really aren't where the real action is. Do you know the most important conversation is? The one you have with yourself about her. Ah. The one you have with yourself about her. You know, all day long, we're talking to ourselves. And this is a conversation we have with ourselves that nobody hears but us. You know, you're thinking, you walk into the church and you look around and you start thinking critical thoughts about that person. And some of you right now are thinking critical thoughts about your wonderful pastor and nobody's hearing this. And, you know, the way he's dressed or maybe, I don't know, something's wrong with me this morning. And you got these critical, nobody hears those. And your wife doesn't hear the conversations you have with yourself. But I've got to tell you this. The things you say to yourself about your wife shape your behavior and your attitudes. It comes out a lot of times explosively later because we've been talking so negative about her weight, about the way she looks, about how she keeps house or she's not got a job. I don't know. All this stuff. How she's treating you. And given a little provocation... The days of negative self-talk. Our self-talk about our wife or children produces our attitudes and behavior towards them. Experts say that 77% of our self-talk is negative. I think that's a little low. I think it's higher than that. 
Men, this is where you begin if you want a better marriage. You've got to change what you're saying to yourself about your wife into affirmations, into positive things. Because if you don't, it's going to put distance between you and her. No one can be more loving than their self-talk. No one can be a better parent than their self-talk. No one can be a better person than their self-talk. It can't happen. And it's the one thing we're not paying attention to. Because we think it doesn't matter. Now I'm not making this up. A guy was watching TV and his wife walked in. This true story. And asked, what's on TV? The guy said, dust. Now, he couldn't figure out later that night in bed why she said, don't touch me. (laughs) Now, why did he say that? Because he had been sitting there probably for days saying negative things to himself about how she was not cleaning the house in the right way. What you think in your heart towards your wife is going to come out. Jesus said this, it's in our heart, whatever's in our heart is going to overflow to our mouth. Sooner or later, our self-talk about our wife is going to affect our behavior and attitudes. Jesus was saying, if you want to show your wife how much you treasure her, start with what you're saying to yourself about her. That's where you change a marriage and a relationship. And with your kids as well. Your self-talk. We've got to stop ourselves when we're thinking negative things about her. When we start to criticize her mentally, we're digging a hole for ourselves. You see, because critical conversations will come out. We've got to stop ourselves and say, those thoughts are not coming from Jesus. They're coming from the devil. And here's why. The Bible says the devil is angry. He's the angriest person in all the universe. Why? Because... The whole universe won't worship him. He wants to be on the throne, just like we do as men. He's angry, and he is called the accuser. That's what he does. He accuses us. Jesus is the one who's died for us. He's the forgiver and the acceptor and gracer. So, when I've got critical thoughts in my head towards another person, and I'm accusing them mentally, especially my wife, I've got to stop and say, those thoughts are not from Jesus. Am I right? They are from straight from hell, from the devil. How do I know that? Because they're just accusing. And that's not Jesus. Now, so if I want to be more like Jesus in my life, I have got to censor my self-talk and say, no, I will not continue To talk to myself this way because that is from the devil and not from Jesus. It's so powerful. Are you willing to do that? Because the change in your attitudes and behavior start with your self-talk. You can never live better than your self-talk. So your wife doesn't cook like your mother did and it's one of those expectations you brought into marriage. Wife should cook great meals. Far better to interrupt yourself and say, well, I have a beautiful wife. She's intelligent. She's fun to be with. She's a woman of great character and heart who doesn't like to cook. What's the big deal? (laughs) 
That's what you have to do. You gotta stop pole vaulting over gopher holes, seriously, and interrupt your self-talk. Secondly, she feels treasured if you care enough to listen to her heart. The Guinness Book of World Records says the longest marriage in history is 82 years between a man and woman in Korea. They just celebrated their 82nd birthday, uh, anniversary. 87 years. Lee and Kim are the names. They had a big celebration with uh, over 150 grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Do you know what Lee and Kim gave to each other as anniversary presents? Hearing aids. <laughs> I think that's so fantastic. What it says is, honey, I still want to listen to you. And that's why their marriage is so good. The synonym for listening is this. Honor. I'm honoring you. Nothing is more dishonoring to a woman than a man who doesn't think what she has to say is important. Nothing is more dishonoring than that. If a man tries to multitask while she's talking, his eyes are still on the TV, he's reading the newspaper instead of looking at her and giving her full attention, that's dishonoring. But it's so hard for us, isn't it? I have so much on my own mind, I'm so busy, I'm off and not even interested in what Susie wants to talk about. But I have learned that giving her my full attention and wanting to listen to her heart makes her feel honored and treasured. But this is missing from so many of our marriages. We are sowing seeds of dishonor rather than honoring to her. Dr. John Gottam, who's a world-famous marriage specialist, says that he can predict divorce with 100% accuracy if the husband continues to dishonor his wife. Because honor is like gasoline in a relationship. The lower the gauge goes, the more distance is created in a relationship. So I've got to ask you, do you spend much time listening to your wife? Full attention listening. Third, you show a woman you treasure her by serving her. Serving her. This is not natural for us. The, you know, the Super Bowl is coming next Sunday, and I personally hope it's not a blowout by the Patriots. It probably will be. You know why? Because nobody's been able to figure out a defense against Tom Brady. His, passes, his passing is so good, it just shreds the defenses in the NFL. That's the challenge for New York. Can we develop a defense that's going to stop Brady? You got the same problem in your marriage because the devil wants to break you up. What's your defense against the devil? What's your defense? I want to tell you there is only one defense that works against the devil. And it's called humility. We are all so naturally self-centered. We want to be served, not to serve. We want to do what we want to do. We have this problem with pride that we always think we're right. And it's so hard for us to say we're, we've been wrong. We don't like to compromise. But worse, we're naturally takers rather than givers. I know I am. I have to fight that. I'm naturally a taker. Don't you see how the devil gets into our relationships? He gets us thinking, 
The whole world ought to revolve around us, especially our wife and children. We're on the throne. But we think it's so right. We've got to get off the throne. And we've got to become like Jesus said, the greatest among you is a servant, not the one who served. Humility. Had to go to Payless to get a few things about a month ago, and I was walking out the door, and Susie asked if I'd pick up her clothes at the dry cleaners. I was in a hurry. Had lots of things to do that day. I said, okay. <laughs> but you know, the tone with which I said okay was, Abraham Lincoln freed all the slaves except one. <laughs> except one. That was absolutely my attitude. And I got in the car and I was complaining. My wife was always making me do stuff. Pride. So far from being a servant of her. I tell you, the devil will trash every defense you have in your marriage except one, humility. Men choose humility and to serve to choose to decide to be a giver rather than a taker. Offer to help around the house, to help with the kids, to run an errand. Marriage is our last chance to grow up. It is. You know, babies, they don't care. They want everybody to meet their needs, and they just cry and make all fusses and meet my needs. And a lot of us, because we lack humility, we're just like babies. Hey, everybody meet my needs. I just got to say this. Babies aren't good lovers. They're not good lovers. Servants are. With a humble heart. That's what knits you together. Are you a servant of your wife? Do you serve her? What have you done in the last 30 days that served her? On a scale of 1 to 10. Brian Dyson, the former CEO of Coca-Cola, gave a speech in which he said, Life is like a game in which you're juggling five balls in the air. And he said, those five balls are work and marriage, family, health, and your spirit. He said, those are the only five balls in life that you're always juggling. And he says, your work, well, it's like a tennis ball. If you drop it, it'll bounce. It'll bounce back. It'll bounce back. But your marriage, it's like a Christmas ornament, a glass ball. Beautiful and so precious. And if you drop your marriage, a lot of times it doesn't bounce. In fact, it gets nicked up. It's never the same. In fact, if you drop your wife, you may shatter her. Your work, it'll bounce back. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of Dr. Mike from Compass Church in Salinas. We hope you're encouraged by his practical Bible-based teaching 